0: Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Panado. Here we have the 70 weeks chart, or the the 490 years kind of of broken down. And um, when you read Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9 divides the 70 weeks into a couple different periods. It says uh, seven weeks, 62 weeks and one week when you read daniel chapter 9 verse 25 it'll separate the 70 weeks so it'll break down the 70 weeks um that way so if you add 7 plus 62 plus 1 what do you get 7 plus 62 is 69 plus 1 is 70 okay so there's there's a totality of the 70 weeks but it breaks it down into these different time segments seven weeks 62 weeks and one week Uh, the seven weeks uh, how many years would seven weeks be Forty-nine years. Okay, forty-nine years. Just remember, a day for a year, seven weeks, uh, seven times seven, forty-nine. Forty-nine years. That those first forty-nine years refer to how long it would take for the wall and for the nation of of Israel to be reestablished. Now, for some reason, this chart, you know, doesn't uh, doesn't highlight those first forty-nine years. But um, it was forty-nine years that it took. For about the wall and the Jewish nation to be rebuilt again, they've been in exile for seventy years. You know, the rebuilding a nation takes takes a while, um, so, uh, so that's what happened during that those first uh, uh, that first uh, seven weeks, the first forty nine to uh, fifty years. That's why the book Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther are in the Bible because Nehemiah and Esther, those uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, they they um, let me see, they record all the events that it took to be able to reestablish themselves as a nation. And in fact, in Ezra, you'll find all these decrees. And Esther, of course, was a contemporary of them all, um, which ties to the book of Daniel, just to to show what was going on, chronicle what was happening during that time. After the wall and the nation were rebuilt, then Daniel chapter 9 says there would be another 62 weeks. Um, This gets maybe a little bit more complicated. How many years are there in 62 weeks? (laughs) 434 years. Um, and so it says there would be seven weeks, and then it, it said it would be 62 weeks until Messiah the Prince would come. And so when we do the math, if 457 is when the decree was given, you know, you add 49 years, and then you add uh, 434 years to that, um, you will come to the year 27 or AD 27, which is the year that Jesus was baptized. And when he was baptized, do you remember what happened? Heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And that was the anointing of Jesus. That's what Daniel 9 says. After 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be anointed. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. And that's what happened with Jesus. He was anointed right there that same year, 27 AD. How do we know it's 27 AD? Because Luke takes the effort to mention who was the Caesar uh, in charge um, during that time. And through history, we can calculate those things. And it also mentions a, a tax that was given. Uh, do you remember when Jesus was uh, being born? you remember there was a decree that went out to tax the entire Roman world and so through history we can trace these things and we can see that Jesus was baptized indeed um, and anointed and began his ministry in AD 27. Shortly after he was baptized Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and he reads this passage he says the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. It's the same language of Daniel chapter nine, the anointing of the Messiah. Okay, so now, uh, how much time do we have? We said uh, we did the seven weeks, and then we did the sixty-two weeks. How much time do we have left in this prophecy? One week. We have one week left in this prophecy, and so then Daniel um, says that at the at the last week, we have one week left. And how many is how much? How long is one week again? How many years? Seven years, okay. Daniel 9 says that, that, th- that this would take place during the last week. He says, the Messiah would confirm the covenant with many during one week. During those seven years, the Messiah would confirm the covenant with many. Okay, that's Daniel 9. And then we read Jesus uh, during the Last Supper, right before his crucifixion. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It was at Jesus' death and and, and crucifixion and resurrection that he confirmed the covenant. And we're using the same language as Daniel. He will confirm the covenant with many for one week. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, something else that Daniel chapter 9 says would happen is that it says the Messiah would be cut off. King James says the Messiah would be cut off. Some modern translations say the Messiah would be put to death. But using that key word again, making a, a linguistic connection, where it says the Messiah would be cut off. Notice what Isaiah chapter 53, uh, the, the prophecy about the suffering servant. It says, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. So we're seeing how Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy of the 70 weeks. Daniel chapter 9 also says that he, in the midst of the week, he would cause the sacrifice and the offering to cease. Now, that that might sound like a bad thing, but when we see that Jesus is our sacrifice, there is no more a need to continue to bring sacrifices and offerings to a temple because Jesus is our sacrifice. And it tells us in the gospel that when Jesus was crucified, and he says, it is finished, which is another key word that Daniel chapter 9 says, to finish transgression. And Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Finished, and the Bible tells us that when he said that and he died, it said at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, there was no longer a need for the temple for the sacrificial system that was taking place. He caused the sacrifice and the offering to to cease, and so clearly the seventy weeks is a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. But unfortunately, do you know that many today view this prophecy, the 70 weeks, about the coming of the Antichrist? But the Bible tells us clearly comparing Scripture with Scripture that the 70 weeks prophecy is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. Now, it says that he would be cut off in the midst of the week or in the midst of the week um, or in the middle of the week, he would be crucified. And so again, how long is is, um, one week? Seven years. And what's like the middle of seven years? Or what's half of seven years? Three and, a half. three and a half years, right? So we see that Jesus' ministry um, was three and a half years. But in order to fulfill or to finish the prophecy of the 70 weeks, we still have how much time, to, to, how much time left in the prophecy? We still have three and a half years. And so you may be wondering, well, why didn't the death of Jesus, you know, conclude the 70 weeks? Uh, What happened after the the, uh, crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus um, that there's still three and a half years left in this prophecy to complete? Um, What event does end the 70-week prophecy? That's kind of the question there. What event does end the 70-week prophecy? Well, you see, even after the Jewish nation rejected and crucified Jesus... Our God is a gracious God, isn't he? Our God is a merciful God. Even after the Jewish nation rejected and crucified Jesus, there is still more grace and mercy that is extended to them. You would think killing killing the Savior of the world would be enough, but no, God still has more grace for them. And so that's why, after the crucifixion, Jesus sends his disciples... And in Acts chapter 1, he he sends them out and he says, You will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem and in, in Judea and in Samaria and to the very ends of the world. And so Jesus, God, was still not done with the nation of Israel. He sent his disciples to preach the good news of the resurrection and to be witnesses. He pours his spirit out on them on the day of Pentecost so that they can preach and they can speak with boldness and with power. And if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, in Acts chapter 6 here, we have the story of the imprisonment and the death of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first deacons. He was of the first seven deacons, I believe. And uh, notice what the Bible says about him in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Now, Stephen... A man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now, as we will continue to read this, you will see how eerily similar uh, Stephen's story is to the story of Jesus. Eerily similar. So just, just keep that there. Just from the initial, it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. What does that remind you of? Jesus, full of God's grace, the Bible tells us, perform, performing signs and miracles in the people. Verse 9 through 10, the Bible tells us that the leaders of the synagogue would argue with him, but they could not stand up against him because of the spirit of wisdom that he had had. Does that remind you of anything else? That Jesus. They were constantly arguing with him, but they couldn't stand up against him because of the wisdom that he had. When you read verse 11, so they accused Stephen of blasphemy... Against Moses, the temple, and God. What does that sound like? What they did to Jesus. Verse 12, they bring him before the Sanhedrin. What does that remind you of? Jesus. Verse 13 through 14, they bring in false witnesses to testify against Stephen. What does that remind you of? What they did to Jesus. Verse 15, Stephen's face lights up like the face of an angel. And then in Acts chapter 7, the story continues. In verses 1 through 50, during his defense, Stephen enters into a retelling of Israel's history and of all their rebellion against God. And now we'll read verse 51. Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked people your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised you are just like your ancestors you always resist the holy spirit now what do we call it when someone resists the holy spirit the unpardonable sin in fact jesus said you can speak all you can speak against me all you want no problem but if you speak against the holy spirit that is the imparnable sin. There is, no, there, there is no forgiveness for that because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. And if we're pushing away the one medium that convicts us of sin, there is no hope for us. And here Stephen is telling him, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. And then in verse 54 through 57 it says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man. Stop right there. Son of Man. Tuck that away there. Son of Man. Have you heard that term used somewhere else before? Just keep that there. Son of Man. And what is the Son of Man doing? Standing. Standing. Put that away there. Right, That's a little detail there. We'll come back to that. The Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city. Again, what does that remind you? Dragging someone out of the city. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside of the city. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What does that sound like? Who said something like that? Jesus on the cross. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What does that sound like? When Jesus is on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they, do not, they don't know what they do. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It is at the death of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, that we see the conclusion of the 70-week prophecy. Why here? I made a slideshow if you, want to write, uh, if you want to write this down. These are the reasons for the conclusion of the 70 weeks prophecy in AD 34. Uh, first of all, the similarity between Stephen's death and Jesus' death. Uh, number two, chronologically, his death takes place within that three-and-a-half-year period after the crucifixion. Number three, Stephen's speech, and this is interesting, Stephen's speech that we didn't read. It's it's almost the entirety of chapter 7. But Stephen's speech is patterned after the Old Testament covenant lawsuit, where when God had an issue with Israel because they violated the covenant, um, what God would do and what the prophets would do is it would outline the entire history and every place where they were disobedient and in rebellion against God and where they had violated the covenant. And that's what the structure of Stephen's speech is patterned after that Old Testament covenant lawsuit, relating all the history and all the times they violated, again, the key word, covenant. Covenant, which is a key word in Daniel chapter 9. Number four, Stephen says they are rejecting the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. Number five, and this is the one that I told you to keep an eye on, he said he saw Jesus, or the Son of Man, standing. Where have we seen that term son of man before? In the book of Daniel. Do you remember? Specifically in Daniel chapter 7. And maybe you want to turn. Let's just turn there. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like the son of man. So this is key terminology that Luke is quoting in the book of Acts uh, that Stephen is is saying in the book of Acts that's connecting it linguistically with the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven and he approached the Ancient of Days. Who is who? Who is the Ancient of Days? God the Father. And was led into his presence. Now it gets even better because notice what verses 9 say. As I looked, thrones were set in place... So just picture that. Thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days did what? Took his seat. The Ancient of Days took his seat. Okay, let's keep reading here. Uh, verse ten: Thousands upon thousands attended him. And 10,000 times 10,000, they did what? They stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So what we have here in Daniel chapter 7 is the initiation of a judgment. Um, and even today, I don't know how many of you have, have attended a, a trial or a court hearing, um, but typically even today when we start the hearing, as soon as the judge walks in, everybody stands, and then, the, and then the judge tells us when we can sit, and then the proceedings start. And so what we're seeing here in Daniel chapter 7 is by people standing and then sitting, it's, it's, a, it's speaking to us of judgment. When they sit down, judgment begins. The books are open. What do you think happens when they stand up? It's over. You know, judgment is over. Now, it's interesting because in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Notice what it says. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will stand up. Stand up. In other words, what the Bible is telling us here is that judgment has been going on. They've been sitting, they've been looking at the books, but then a time will come when judgment will be over. The, the verdict and the sentence will be decided and everyone will stand up and judgment is over. And that's exactly what we see in, in Acts chapter 7 where, where Stephen sees Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of, of God. In other words, judgment for Israel has been decided. The verdict has been declared. The 70 weeks were a time of probation for the nation of Israel. Would they get their act together? Would they follow Jesus at the stoning of Stephen? It's the final straw, and judgment is over. The nation of Israel is no longer the chosen people of God. But one last detail from Acts chapter 7 that we know why this... um, the prophecy concludes in 1834 is there was someone else who was present at the stoning of Stephen. And who was that? Saul, who later became Paul. I mean, I mean, it's not a coincidence because God knows what he is doing. It is Paul, Saul, who would later become Paul, who would become the apostle to who? To the Gentiles, ushering in a new era. It was Paul who radically redefined and expanded what the term Israel meant and who God's chosen people were. Look what the Bible says here. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 9 and verse 6 and 7. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, the apostle Paul says. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. And then Paul goes on to make the argument that it is those of faith that are Abraham's children and that are truly Israel and descendants of Abraham. It is those of faith. Notice what he says here in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. He says, if you belong to Christ, if you have faith in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, at the conclusion of the 70 weeks prophecy, there is the one man who was also present as a witness to see that transition through where the gospel is no longer restricted to the nation of Israel, but where the gospel goes to everyone, to Gentiles, everyone can become the children of God. Anyone can become part of the people of God. If we, are in, if we have faith in Christ Jesus, it is Paul who does that. And Paul even goes so far to say, even if you're a descendant of Abraham, but if you reject Christ, then you're not part of Israel. That's scandalous. That was scandalous in Paul's day, and that's why he got into so much trouble in his days, because he preached that, and it's scandalous even today. But it's the same message of John the Baptist. you remember when John the Baptist appeared? And he says, don't think that because you're, uh, you're Abraham's children, um, that, that, you will, that, that you will be blessed and you will receive, for God can make of these stones Referring to the Gentiles, that's how the Jews consider the Gentiles. God can raise up of these stones children to Abraham. It's the same message that that Jesus had when he said, many will come from the east and from the west, and they will sit down at the table with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, while the children of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. And so what we see here is that at the conclusion of the 70 weeks, a time of probation, unfortunately the nation of Israel rejects Jesus, rejects his messengers, and finally God moves on and sends the gospel to the Gentiles. Mm. All right? So, when we study Bible prophecy, and when we read prophetic passages, listen here carefully, When we study Bible prophecy and when we read prophetic passages dealing with the time after the crucifixion, there is a shift in the definition of who God's people are. It shifts from a local and a literal definition, literal Israel in Palestine, in the Middle East, to spiritual and global being those who are of faith in Christ Jesus, his church, his faithful followers. That's an important point there. Because many people today, when they study the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, they interpret it literally having to do literally with the nation of Israel. But the Bible tells us that it's those who are in faith in Christ Jesus that are the children of Israel. They are the people of God. It's interesting that Daniel even uses this terminology very carefully in Daniel chapter 7 uh, when it speaks about the little horn persecuting God's people it's very specific to just mention a general term, God's people, or the holy people. Now, there is one instance in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Turn, turn them in your Bibles away if you're already there. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, there is this one instance when it specifically mentions Daniel, your people, and who would that be? nation of Israel, right? Or is it? Daniel chapter 12 verse 1. At that time Michael the great prince who protects your people will arise and there will be a time of trouble such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time your people is it the nation of Israel? The passage clarifies who Daniel's people are. Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Jesus says "You know, rejoice because your name's are written in the book of life. Your names are written in heaven. And so even in, Dan- in Daniel chapter 12, when it's speaking about a prophecy that has to do with the end time, and it mentions your people, Daniel, you would think, well, it's speaking about Israel, but no, the Bible itself clarifies. It's everyone who has a faith in Jesus who has their name written in the book of life. So the 70 weeks prophecy tells us the starting date of the 2300 days when the Messiah would arrive, and it also serves as an example of probation and judgment of Israel. The which will be repeated on a global scale at the end of the 2300 days, which is where we are living in now. And that's why Revelation says the hour of his judgment has come. The 70 weeks, a small illustration of judgment to take place at the end of the 2300 days for the entire world, judgment for the entire world, a time which we are living in right now. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with them at www.jxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.